Uh, open your Bibles to First uh, John, uh, not the Gospel of John, but First John chapter one. Uh, again, if you are a visitor, welcome. Uh, if it's your birthday, let us know. Uh, and uh, if it's other people's birthdays, let us know. Uh, and but yeah, we are glad that you're gathering with us today. Uh, as we continue uh, in our value series, every September we do a, ser- a value series where we look at really, uh, man, who we are as a church. And so today uh, we're going to be looking at what it means to be a church that lives lives of honest transparency. And so quickly, let me just set our time by reminding us uh, that as a church that's been planted in Brenham, we did not plant simply to gather people, Okay. So we did not plant with this mindset that we want to plant a mega church, like actually, like probably the furthest thing from that. Uh, we uh, didn't, you know, even the way we started in a lot of ways when we wanted to see slow, deep growth. So we, more so than numbers, we, man, we love to see uh, depth of relationship. And so uh, that's uh, really, um, man, who we are. And so our vision, uh, really our mission for planting has always been, although not perfectly, although at times we planted in a lot of ideals, uh, we, uh, and really kind of our vision statement just kind of came out over the last two to three years uh, where we kind of defined that and honed in, is that uh, we've always been a church or, or long to be a church that might be good neighbors to our city through the joyfully, joyful displaying of the gospel with our lives. Something we talk about all the time. Uh, if you were a part of our basics class last week, uh, you got a whole lot of this over and over and over again. But man, we believe and we proclaim that the gospel is not simply to be a tagline that, that we associate ourselves with. It's not just a bumper sticker or something that we just say, yeah, uh, because I'm so-and-so, I, uh, you know, I know uh, the word gospel, but we believe uh, that, that it is good news for the entirety of your life, past, present, and future. It's to be the center of who we are because in it we find life, right? Like we once were dead in our trespasses and sins, but in Christ, through Christ and His finished work, we have life. But it's not just that we have life, we have identity. And the good news of the gospel tells us who we are. And then that leads us to, man, this reality that we have purpose. It doesn't just tell us who we are, it tells us and calls us to a purpose. And so, you know, when we think about this good news, it is to be the focus for why we do what we do. Because you see, all followers of Christ, all followers of Jesus are called into God's mission. And your mission field is every moment and every part of your life, right? Like you don't have the job you have just because it's the job you have. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have that job that you might proclaim the good news of Jesus. You don't live in the neighborhood or place that you live simply because you live there. God wants to use that so that you might display and proclaim the good news, right? You don't have the struggles, the the heartache, the grief and the brokenness of your life for no reason. God wants to use that. For his name. We are to display the gospel in word and deed. We saw it last week where I talked about, man, Matthew 28 says for to go, like every follower of Jesus to go and make disciples, right? We are to immerse them or baptize them in this new identity that's found in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? Teaching them, which is to teach them what God's word says, to walk in obedience to that word. And then in Acts 1, uh, one of my favorite 
verses in the Bible when he says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And man, we, uh, we're a part of that. Well, what Jesus set out in Acts 1a, man, it's continuing until he returns, right? And so if we are going to be a culture of good neighbors, and remember, I defined culture in week one as the spontaneous, repeated patterns of behavior. If we're going to do that, then we're going to have to make sure that what we want to be about is what we're talking about, first and foremost. So so the narrative uh, is going to have to change. And, and I don't want you to hear like what you want to be about, talk about. I'm not talking about like speaking things into existence or like that whole name it and claim it prosperity gospel, which I believe is a false gospel. What I'm saying is that, man, the things that we talk about should shape what we do, right? What you're talking about is backed up by behaviors that are conducive and, 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 and produce the, these spontaneous repeated patterns. It, it produces a certain culture, good or bad. And so far what we've seen is that to live out this culture, what we want to grow in as a church is that we want to grow as a people who are biblically transformed. Meaning that, that when we seek transformation, we don't seek best practices or, you know, uh, you know, uh, just the next best thing. While those can be good things, the Bible is our ultimate source of transformation. It's where we should go to first. And so we want to grow in that. But not only that, we want to grow in what it means to be an engaging community. Again, uh, as I shared last week, when we talked about what it means to be an engaging community, man, welcoming, I believe, stops short the way we define it. But engaging invests and shares life. There's depth to it. This is what we're after, and I believe it's what we're called to. You see, you can really go anywhere and be welcomed. Most places. Right. Like, you know, and and culture, especially like hospitality culture, like they man, they they know that. And so they put money into that. Right. Like if you go to Olive Garden, why do you go to Olive Garden? Aside from the free salad and breadsticks. Right. Like you go like what's their tagline? Does anybody know it? When you're here, your family. Right. Like they jumped on that, that man, people want that type of feeling. I don't know that you get it at Olive Garden, though. Not really. Uh, you get free salad and breadsticks and then you feel miserable after you leave. But like they understand that. And so they go after it. But you see what our souls most need, what our souls need most and what our souls long for the most is to engage and be engaged. Uh, I shared at the end of our time last week that uh, there was a guy, he said, man, culture, the world is moving away from community, but when it sees real, authentic, biblical community, it goes after it because it's what its heart really wants. And so that's what we're to be. We're to be an engaging community. We're to engage and be engaged. But man, and and this really leads into our time today. Even as we hear this call to engage and be engaged, uh, even as our heartstrings are tugged by maybe the longing for that or the conviction that you need that and have been running from it. I think the struggle lies in knowing that if this is what we're going to be, if this is what we're going to live into and live out of, man, we're going to have to learn to let our guard down and let others in. 
Meaning that we have to be willing to be honest and transparent, first with God, but next, I think, with ourself, but then with others about where we really are. And who do you have in your life that you share, man, where you're at? Not just the good stuff, right? Like commonly in this context, it's just the good stuff. Or, hello, (laughs) at times. I think also, like I think in, in church culture, but also the context at large, and we're about to just jump into culture in general. Man, I think a lot of times like we just tend to share the bad stuff, do we not? Man, like, you know, you just get around and all you talk about is we all we do is complain and criticize and everything is broken and all of this and look at this and did you see this? And so, you know, sometimes we can only share the good stuff, but also sometimes there's some of that comfort and escape in just sharing the bad stuff. But I think really if I were to press more, I would say that more than the good stuff and the bad stuff, we need to share the hard stuff. We, if we're going to be honest and transparent, we need to share in our sufferings. We need to share where we struggle with sin. We need to share where we believe lies. You see, that's what we're after. This is what it means to be countercultural. A culture of honest transparency is a narrative that the world needs. And we, who are to be a kingdom in the midst of a broken culture, not separated, uh, not running from the culture, but saying, hey, we bring a different, we bring the kingdom. We have to fight for this each and every day, even though it's what the world and our flesh tells us to run from. I mean, just think for a moment. And these are really going to kind of go back and forth. But just think for a moment uh, about what culture says about honesty and transparency. Just just think for a minute. What does culture say? I would say they say zip your lips and throw like lock it and throw away the key, right? Like what culture says is avoid honesty, avoid transparency at all cost. Really, the, the, the way we do that is that you need to cover it, you need to hide it, you need to blame it on someone else, you need to distract other people from the things you're struggling with, you need to make your life seem better than it is. And guess what? All of those things are a lie. I mean, it's everywhere, right? Like, it's on the media. On both sides of the aisle, the media is saying the other one's a liar, Right? That they hold the truth. Like, uh, man, social media, advertising, television, any other avenue you look to in the world, it is all marketed to get each and every one of us to believe the lie that you don't have to be honest and transparent about who you are and where you struggle. Because if it's broken, just move on. If it's broken, just act like nothing is wrong. If it's broken, just add a filter on social media, right? If it's broken, just buy a new product. If it's broken, just tear it down and put some shiplap on it, right? Like, that's our cool, like, I love 
renovation television, okay? Like, we have a night of the week where we watch home renovation television, but it makes me angry, okay? And I, some of you may not like this, and, but let's just take King and Queen of Shiplap, Chip and Joe, and Fixer Upper. Like, I've got some issues with it, although I love it. And I will always watch it, right? The first issue is I lived in Waco when Waco was really Waco. Amen. And, and it's missing that now, you know. But part of that was the first house that they fixed up was two houses down from the, where I lived when Haley and I started dating. And man, the things that went down outside of that house, like it's not fixer-upper, right? But that's all they show. They just show what's good. Everything, like... Yes, it has changed a lot even since that first episode. But man, they're like, if you knew the neighborhood, you're like, man, I don't know if I'd fix that house up like that. Like that's it, it's all around. Right. But if we can just make one thing look good, who cares about what's around us? Right. Is that odd us? Not only that, the other thing I, I just can't stand is when I watch it, the prices that they say that it costs to do something I'm like you're a liar. Because I'm doing it right now and it costs way more money, right? You know, and then you just go through that. But that is us. Like, it's like, if it's broken, just, man, just put the facade up. We can renovate it ourselves. You see, the culture that the broken world has built itself upon, and again, I'm not just talking about the culture, I'm talking about the church as well. We often live into the church. We are often marked by the same thing. And it's this, the truth is relative. So just live your truth and I'm going to live my truth. Reveal as little brokenness as possible and I'll do the same. And if something breaks, don't talk about it unless you have an escape route to deflect blame or circumstance on someone else or something else. But how's that working for us? Is hiding, blaming, and covering up doing anything for us at all? It's not. Actually, it's destroying us. Scripture says there's a way that seems right to man, but what? Only leads to death. It's destroying us. And man, in the church, we're getting our butts kicked by the culture. Because we can be just as quick to hide behind labels of fabricated church culture, church language, and something we talk about that I'll explain and define in a moment, church face, right? So much so that we never really get honest with anyone, including ourselves, until our house burns down. Two, two things about what I just said there. First is, man, church, church face is a real thing. Some of you know what it is. If you don't know, it probably happened on the way here today, right? You woke up frustrated because your spouse wasn't going fast enough or they were going too fast. You know, your kids weren't going fast enough or man, uh, heaven forbid they asked for cereal before you had your third cup of coffee, right? Like, you know, and so you get like we just get in that mode and then we get dressed and we dress ourselves up and we get in the car and, you know, you're someone cuts you off. But now you have that center church sticker on your car. And Kyle told me I can't tell people they're number one anymore. And so you keep driving and you get there and then your spouse tells you, hey, your driving's a little messed up. Why? are you doing that and your kids are yelling and kicking your seat and then you just yell and you have an argument and you pull in the parking lot and you say okay everybody put it on you get out the door and you start smiling you walk in here 
And you raise your hand at the right spots. You nod your head in the right moments. All the while your house is burning down. And man, when that happens, like when we live lives of church face and then our house starts burning down, you want to, you want to know one of the most common responses is, well, no one asked me how I was doing. No one really cared for me. Were you in community? Well, no. But I, my house is burning down. It's not my fault. It just blows my mind. Like I guarantee, like if you uh, sit down, like if you're struggling, like one of the, if you're struggling with something, one of the things, one of the top things I'm going to tell you is, are you involved in community? And do they know what's going on in your life? The other thing I'll say about this is this is nothing new. It should not surprise us. It is a product of the fall. From Genesis 3 and onward, we have tried to hide, blame, and kill. Right? We want to hide from our sin, blame it on others. And man, if we really get to it, if someone's in our way, man, we'll do whatever we can to get them out of our way. We can really quickly turn to Cain, right? If you don't believe me, just put kids in a room and wait till someone cries and walk in there and ask what happened. They, man, they will just, they will just start knifing each other, blame, right? Like, as soon as you open the door, like you haven't even asked anything. It's like, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Or oh, I did it, but it's justified because they did this. Or maybe to make it a little more, hey, yeah, I did that, but you didn't check on me enough. <laughs> Mom, dad, you should have come in here every five minutes. You waited seven. And so they got what they got, right? <laughs> like that's the culture. Like that's what we do. Church family, like we fool ourselves into believing that uh, the other thing is like we, we need to hear it is that, man, oftentimes we fool ourselves into believing that no one sees our mess. Now, you can be really good at hiding it and you can hide it for a really long time. But eventually, and especially when you start engaging in that sneaky little thing called biblical community. Guess what? The mess starts coming out, does it not? I mean, I know, like, there, there have been people that have, like, you know, they, they, they get into the life of even this church, and what happens is, like, everything's good, and then it's like, but wait a second, you want to engage in the messiness of stuff? I'm not, not going to do that. But the mess starts coming out. And so the question is, what are we going to do about it? As people who are trying to be good neighbors, one of our greatest expressions of the gospel is to be honest and transparent about our mess by doing, because by doing so, we find healing and transformation and freedom. And those around us who are enslaved by performance, who are enslaved by sin, who are enslaved by hiding, get to hear and see how the good news transforms and will free them. You see, the gospel of Jesus, it is Jesus who leads us to this good news that transforms our lives and frees us from our need to hide and cover up. Guess what? Today, you don't have any reason to hide or cover up. 
The gospel is good news not simply because it wrought our redemption, but that it freed us from our need to hide and cover up under the threat of being exposed. We are exposed. And we should run to this. This today should make us breathe and be at rest. It should give us peace. And so I want you to think for a moment about your own life, like how it might feel to be fully honest and transparent about who you are, where you struggle, and how God and others feel about you. Some of you, like, as soon as you hear that, you just start holding it at arm's length. You're like, nope. <laughs> but if you just let your guard down a bit, you said, I don't have to run and hide. You know, what if today, what if the worst thing you've ever done, or even the worst thing you did yesterday was exposed for all of us in the room to see? Not just your actions, like just even your thoughts, right? Like I think for all of us who are honest, we'd want to run out of the room. But what we're about to deal, we're about to deal with that through our time in First John. And my prayer is that we would find greater freedom to be a people who live into and out of honest transparency. And so let's begin by looking at the foundation for our ability to be honest and transparent. Because it's not so much, it doesn't begin with, hey, just be honest and transparent. No, we have to do some heart work before that. So let's read 1 John 1, verses 1 through 4. This is John writing. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Okay, so John in this letter begins his writing by pointing us to the center of our life, hope, and redemption, which is the person and work of Jesus, who put on flesh, lived the life we couldn't live, died the death we deserve to die, and rose in victory. John, he doesn't start with some introduction and, and things like that. He says, no, this is what it's about. This is the good news story that he attests to and he proclaims as the source of eternal life. What he's saying is Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise of the fall in Genesis 3. When God said, hey, a son of Eve is going to come and they're going to crush the serpent's head. So that we might not have to hide, but walk in the light of life that is in Christ and Christ alone. A life that draws us into fellowship with God the Father, Christ the Son, and indwells us with the Holy Spirit. It's this foundation that John begins his letter because he knows that in and through the work of Christ, he says, in all this, if you get this, our joy is made complete. Now, as we read that, and before we move into the next portion of the passage, I want us to see, uh, especially in terms of what it means to be a culture that values honest transparency, is that John can write in spirit-led boldness that in Christ we have fellowship with the Father and our joy is made complete. Now you may be hearing that and be like, yeah, duh, Kyle. That's what we talk about every week, right? We always talk about the gospel. 
But I don't want us to miss it because what this means for us. And again, we can become numb to it. We can become callous towards it. But what this means is that God sees us for all we are. And yet he still chose to send his son. We think we can hide, but we can't. God sees it all. And yet, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. I think what's been so just mind-blowing to me is just thinking about this. But again, it's going to sound like a broken record, but read Gentle and Lowly by Dane Orland. Uh, He talks about in the book, he says, you know, Jesus is the only perfect one. You know, when we get around sin, we're just kind of used to it, you know, because we're sinful. But just imagine if you're perfect and sinless and you have to be around just the, the gauntlet of brokenness that was always around Jesus. And that's why Jesus would have to go off and pray because, man, just that and, and meet with the father because, man, uh, the, uh, for someone who's sinless and perfect, that amount like brokenness is everywhere. Right. Everything is utterly broken. And yet he didn't run from it. Rather, he ran towards it because it's his heart and he saves us to the uttermost, which means this. Jesus went into the storm of our sin and death and he brought calm through his perfect blood being spilled. He gave himself to the uttermost while knowing that our sin was wicked to the uttermost. You see, when you understand what John starts with here in terms of setting the stage by proclaiming the gospel, rather than seeing it as just another introduction, you can begin to see that honest transparency is not a reactive cover-up, but a response to the exposing nature of God's holiness, our brokenness, and yet His redemptive love that meets the standard and gives us life. You see, when you begin to be honest about your brokenness with God and understand just how much He cares about you, you build the foundation needed to start being honest with yourself and others. When you start being transparent about your brokenness before God, instead of trying to cover up with makeshift fig leaves, which again is absolutely ridiculous that we would think that we could cover anything up from God, right? It's like when one of my children runs into the room and I'm like, they, I'm like, hey, have you been eating chocolate? And they're like, no. And I'm like, you have chocolate all over your face. Like, <laughs> like you have been, right? But they think, well, no, I got it, right? And when we quit trying to do that and, and begin to just say, no, I can't cover it up. And you receive grace rather than condemnation and freedom rather than enslavement. And that does two things. First, it gives you grace for others. But two, it gives you freedom to live transparently with others. Again, you don't have to hide today. You don't have to cover up any longer. And let's continue to flesh this argument out by looking at verses 5 through 10. It says this, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Again, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. All right, so if Jesus is the word of life that gives us the freedom to be honest and transparent, then our response is that we would walk in the light of freedom by living lives of honest transparency. John shares his, uh, this message. He says, you have heard. He says, this is the message you've heard, meaning this is the good news that was proclaimed to you. And he, he breaks it down. He says, first, that God is the light. You see, God, by His very nature, is light. We see it in John 1. Man, light throughout the Scriptures is this picture of truth, knowledge, and righteousness. But, but John says, hey, look, God is light, and in Him is what? In Him is no darkness. He's fully light. What we know from this is that light is not found. Uh, what we need to know from this is light is not found in and of ourselves. We produce no light on our own. And the reason we know that is because we have darkness in us. God's the only one that's fully light, right? We are broken by sin. But what we also know is that in Christ, there is no ultimate darkness in us, for He has brought us into the light. But you see what happens. I think what Paul's get, or John's getting at here is he's writing to this church. What he's telling them is he's saying, hey, there's this tendency for us to, to walk back into the darkness. To run back to the darkness. And darkness in Scripture is falsehood, ignorance, and sin. And so John gives a warning. He says, you can't claim to be in the light of fellowship and walk in darkness. He says, if you do so, you do not practice the truth. You see, you cannot hide behind darkness and claim it to be light or mask it as light. Darkness will expose itself as darkness. And Jesus exposes darkness for what it is. It's dishonesty. This is what it means to live a life of dishonesty. You see, dishonesty at its root is unbelief. And unbelief is really rooted in this sense of pride and identity that needs to project and protect. And how do you see that in your own life today where you are projecting yourself to be something and you were trying to protect yourself from being exposed? And how quickly do you move to defensiveness when that gets pressed a little. You see, rather than walking in darkness, John says, he says, look, walk in the light. Which again, like we can look at that and say, well, it's too easy. Right? Like, or just walk in the light, but I need to do something, Right? I need to have some form of penance. He doesn't say that. He says, no, walk in the light. What this really means is uh, to get out there and be honest and transparent before God and others. Why? Well, he says, first, Jesus is in the light. He says, walk in the light as he is in the light. that, That should be good news. Like when we hear that, like Jesus isn't hiding from us. He's always in the light. He's not sitting there saying, you need to get your act together. And then maybe I'll let you in the light. No, he's just standing in the light. saying, Come on, right here. I'm here. And and, and he he wants to run to us. Like like the the father does to the prodigal son, right? Like that's Jesus. 
He's not waiting for you to get it all together. He's right out there in the light. This is where we are called to be. We are to be a people who are lights to the world. So we need to be near the light. Not our own lights, but shining the light of God's grace to the world around us, exposing the culture for the hidden sham it is by proclaiming mercy and grace through honest transparency. You see, when we do this, John states, he says, you have fellowship with one another. And that means two things based on the context. First, you have fellowship with God. Because he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. But also, we have fellowship with one another as the body of Christ. Guess what? Today, like there is freedom in knowing that all of us are jacked up. There's freedom in knowing that no one in Christ gets in because they did enough, proved enough, or provided enough. There's freedom in having fellowship as saints who find their rest in the finished work of Jesus rather than your own ability. And let's engage that. Again, as John has said over and over again, and because we try to discount it and try to hide, he says, if you don't, if you say you don't have sin, you deceive yourself. No, he doesn't say you deceive God or others. He says, you're deceiving yourself. You're not deceiving God. And guess what? If you're involved in community, you're probably not deceiving other people. Like, we're going to see it. Right? The longer that I spend around my wife, guess what? The more she knows how I tick and she can look at me and say, hey, what's going on? Right? Come to men's equip if you're a man. Be a part of it for a while. After a while, it's just like, hey, what's going on with you? Right? You know, like we can see it. And that should be a grace. What we should do is as we realize this is confess, knowing that he is faithful to forgive, to be honest about where you are, not talking up where you think you should be or how you're going to claw your way there. Quit projecting and protecting and let your guard down. Run to the freedom that is only found in Christ and begin to live in the freedom and healing that's found when you start being honest and transparent about your life. There's a pastor named Eric Mason. Recently, he said this. He said, healing, real, authentic, gospel-centered healing comes through honesty. And we see that in two ways. We see that, first and foremost, in the redemptive work of the gospel. Like the transformative work of the gospel in your life is that realization by God's grace when your eyes are open to realize, like, I don't got it. I'm dead. He's the only one that rescues. But also we see that in the response to the continual work. Again, the gospel is not a past work or a future work. It is a past, present, and future work. But today we see it in the continual work of sanctification that takes place. And that takes place primarily in the context of the local church. Men, do you have other men in your life that will come to you when they see stuff, and if you ask them, say, hey, when you see something in my life, will you, will you hold me accountable? Women, do you have other women in your life that you know that you've asked, and they can come to you when they see something in your life? And with grace and gentleness, say, hey, I see this in your life, and I love you enough to tell you. 
So what does all this mean? I believe that honesty and transparency means that that we're going to have to break through the awkwardness and start getting comfortable with sharing where we really are. Now, I want to make a note of that because I think uh, some of you and all of us, let's just say that, not some of you, all of us in moments, we think we're being honest and transparent when really we're just vomiting all our stuff on someone else. Vomiting your problems without listening to biblical wisdom and seeking gospel-centered change is not honesty. You're seeking an escape. Along with this, transparency void of repentance and faith is not transparency. It's sleight of hand that deflects the issue instead of dealing with the issue. Guess what? Real community calls you out and calls you to more. So you can go to someone and tell them, hey, this is what's going on. And, and, you know, if the response is like, hey, I see something in your heart there that maybe you need to deal with. Like, if your natural reaction is, how dare you? I just shared my life with you and you're telling me something? It's on you, okay? Now, does that mean that everything someone says is is gold and you should take it all? No. What do you do? You take those things, you say, okay, God's word. You know, if conviction is coming, what do I need to do with that? Next, we must learn to see our sin being exposed as grace rather than something to be ashamed of. And today, are you not worn out by all the hiding? You don't have to hide anymore. Next, we have to stop being the victim of our sin and brokenness. I want that, man, in my own life to sink in that, man, like, I don't have it all together. You and I are broken, and in our brokenness, we have to realize that the only way out is by being honest and transparent about it before God and your fellow man. Rosaria Butterfield says that everyone is struggling with something and so as the body we should all be honestly repenting of something. So today, how would your life change if you became more honest and transparent before God and others? Man, what what would your marriage look like if you were more honest and transparent about the broken things you bring into it? Like, what if you apologized and asked for forgiveness from your spouse instead of always acting like you were right? What about with your children? When's the last time you sit down with your kid and say, hey, I really missed that. Daddy got upset. I shouldn't have gotten that upset. It was my fault. I believe that honest transparency regarding our sin is one of our greatest gospel proclaimers and discipleship methods for our kids. But guess what? I didn't hear it growing up. I heard you fall in line. My word is law, right? But there was never, like I looked at it and I'm like, yeah, but you messed up. But there was never, hey, I'm sorry for uh, daddy sins too. Mommy sins too, right? We need God's grace. I think along with that, like what if the church quit blaming all of its issues on others 
and just live lives of honest transparency that proclaim the grace of God who is light and while he knew our darkness still gave himself for our redemption. That's what we want to be about. One of the greatest ways we can proclaim the gospel to our neighbors is by just being real with where we're at, right? Saying, hey, I'm struggling with this. Hey, yeah, this is going on in our life or, you know, whatever. That we would be real, that they would see that, man, we, you, you don't have to put a face on. You don't have to hide. And so I want us to wrestle with that today. And, man, I'll just, I'll just go first. And when I think about my life and I think about where I really struggle right now, I think, you know, I think that, man, if I was going to be honest and transparent, it's with my calloused heart towards people. I get tired of their sin, but I'm comfortable with mine. That I can probably be too quick to write people off when Jesus doesn't write me off. Because I get frustrated that they won't listen for the thousandth time. And yet I watch their house burn to the ground. And I think with that, the way that comes out uh, is probably impatience with my kids. That when they're just being kids, I just, I'm just being selfish. Don't bother me. I've had to wrestle with that a lot recently. So I've uh, probably about three weeks ago, I realized as soon as I woke up that I was hating Sundays. As soon as I woke up on Saturday, and the way it was coming out was in a lot of frustration. I didn't want to be bothered by anything. I mean, I've had to just kind of lay that at Jesus' feet and do a lot of repenting and just decide, like, hey, God, I need help. I mean, I think what God's done in that is He's brought a lot of joy like on Sundays. Like, I mean, if you were here this morning, I was pretty just... It wasn't coffee, okay? Like, sometimes it is. But, like, I had to wrestle with that. And, like, and realize that, man, there's brokenness in there. There's probably ways I was making it about me and I was allowing that frustration to flood out towards others. Man, I don't want to be like that. I've had to sit down with my kids and I've had to sit down with my wife. And I, like, and I want you all to know that so you all can pray for me and just say, hey, like, if you see something, right? But that's what we're to be about. Like, honestly, like, that was just real scary. <laughs> I think it's something that we can grow in because guess what? Like God already sees it and yet He still came. He still loves us. He's still in the light. And may we be a people that walk in the light. And may we then project that light not ourselves, not how great we are, but how great Jesus is. I'm going to have the team come back up. I mean, I want you all just to spend some time thinking about those things. Where you struggle with honesty and transparency and maybe where you're seeing the just the 
the poor fruit of that or um, and the consequences of that. And what needs to happen is, man, you first and foremost, you need to run to Jesus. Next, now you probably need someone around you who can say, hey, I'm not here just to vomit everything. I'm going to tell you this, and I need you, man, when you see something, I need, when I need you to pray for me. When you, if you see this, I need you to ask me about this. You don't have to hide anymore. And then I want to invite you, if you're a follower of Jesus, man, to come and share in the, uh, the, the, the reminder and that Jesus entered into our mess. And He gave Himself fully by giving His life so that we might have life. We might have freedom. We don't have to hide anymore. He removes our uh, uh, filthy garments and gives us, He clothes us in righteousness. May that give us hope and encouragement. May that draw us to worship today. And may it lead us to be more honest more transparent. So Jesus, I thank you that you came as the perfect one. You came and gave of yourself fully. God, I thank you for your grace that reveals to us the honest state we are in being dead. But God, that that your truth and your good news, God, brings life. And God, that even though like nothing is hidden from you, you see it all. God, let us quit trying to run in the patterns of hiding or projecting or, man, dressing things up. And let us just share uh, the reality of where things are and where we find ourselves. And let us, in turn, find hope and hope in you alone. And God, let us be a community that values honesty and transparency and uh, God that that um, is quick to show grace. God is quick to share struggles. God and that others would see that. They would see the transformation that takes place and that they uh, that they would not glorify us but that they would come and begin to ask what is going on? And that you would do a mighty work in in this church and in this city. Because it's only by you that it can be done. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.